1: Hello everybody, Uh, welcome to New Books Network, to the Hindu Studies Network. I am Swami Narasimhananda, the host of this network. And we have with us today, Ari L. Molendak, the author of the book, Frederick. Hello everybody, Uh, welcome to New Books Network. the Hindu Studies Network. I am Swami Narasimhananda, the host of this network. And we have with us today R.E. L. the author of the book, Frederick Max Müller and the Sacred Books of the East, published by the Oxford University Press. And he is the professor of History of Christianity and Philosophy in the Faculty of Theology and Religious Studies at the University of Groningen, the Netherlands. Welcome, Ari Molendek. How are you? I'm very
0: good. It's a pleasure to have this conversation with you. So, I'm looking forward to it, yeah?
1: Yeah. So, I was just wondering, can you please introduce yourself uh, to our audience at New Books Network?
0: Okay. Well, I'm glad to do so. It's always a bit difficult uh, where to begin, but... Perhaps good. I, I've lived my whole life in, in the Netherlands. Uh, I, I was born in Rotterdam, the, the main port of the Netherlands and one of the main ports in of Western Europe in 1957. So I'm almost six years old. I went to school, uh, Latin and Greek school in Rotterdam. And then I moved on to the University of Leiden, one of the, the oldest universities of the Netherlands. And I studied philosophy and theology and also a bit of drama. I'm trained as a theologian. Well, I must say, theologians, you have various sorts of theologians. But in my case, I was very much interested in the history of ideas. So I'm not so much a practical theologian. I'm not a pastor. I'm not a minister. But I developed into a scholar of religion with a great interest in the history of ideas. So... That's my main thing. So I had a couple of positions where I had to write books. Uh, Also, very much focused on the history of theology and philosophy in the 19th and 20th century, especially in Germany and uh, in the Netherlands. So actually, this book is the first venture into a new area for me, and that's uh, the history of, uh, of Britain, also as a colonial empire. So after all these temporary positions, I finally at 42, I got a position as a professor at the University of Groningen at the Faculty of Theology and Religious Studies. And there uh, I could develop my, uh, myself really good. So it was a good environment. So it was perhaps nice to, to hear that also one of my colleagues, uh, Lawrence van den Bos, uh, also wrote a book on uh, Friedrich Max Müller, a very big, book published with Brill. It's called Friedrich Max Müller, A Life Devoted to the Humanities, with a big, large uh, biographical section. So uh, I, I came to Max Müller because I, I got more and more interested in the in uh, how religious studies, so that the scholarly study of religion emerged in the Netherlands, in the West. And the Dutch were rather important uh, in the, the late 19th century, the first professorships in in, as it was called, uh, um, the signs of religion. It had to be really a science, uh, with laws and so um, really facts and so on. So one of the latest books I read before, uh, the book of Max Müller, was on the emergence of the signs of religion in, in the Netherlands. And then I had, uh, and that was, was very nice. I had very... Good conversations about it before it was published and after it. So I was happy that, and I was looking for a new project. And during sabbatical, I had in in Germany. I I was involved in uh, well, what is it called? Let's see. Oh, yeah, it's a nice title. International Consortium sounds a bit like business for research in the humanities. And the, the name was Dynamics in the History of Religions between Asia and Europe located in Bochum that's in well the middle of Germany in the, Ur, in the Ruhr area and I was a feller there and I thought, well perhaps the dynamics in the history of religions between Asia and Europe sounds a bit like uh, the venture of Max Müller and it could be nice to, to do at on one hand, something which is related to research i have done, and on the other hand, it's something quite new. Because if you know the history of Britain, well, I know some basics of it, but was not really knowledgeable in in this area. So it was a challenge, as you call, as you would say. So and then, uh, well. I, it took, took three, four years to, to complete the book, and then uh, the whole process was with uh, the press. So, uh, and I'm very happy that, of course, that it's published with Oxford University Press because uh, the sacred books of these, these 50 mighty volumes uh, of, of Indian wisdom, as Frank Friedrich Max Müller saw it, uh, were also published with Oxford uh, University Press. Friedrich Max Müller uh, was one of the delegates, as it's called, one of the of Oxford University Press, though perhaps it was not that difficult. But uh, the the issue was money, as it's always the case. And uh, the other delegates didn't expect that this series would be profitable and that they would lose money and they invested their own money in it so they were a bit hesitant to 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 start their series but then actually it turned out that uh that the book sold rather well so then a second series was started it the, they started with 24 volumes and then later decided to to do another 24 25 so and and then an index to to conclude it so um that that's in short, uh, well, not the history of my whole life, but perhaps a bit of an intellectual biography. I could tell you more, but then you could uh, you might can ask. So,
1: so you have already mentioned how you came to write this particular book, but in the context in which you situated this book, uh, why only Max Muller? What was the specific thing about Max Muller? Why why did you choose uh, particularly Max Muller? Where you could have chosen other uh, Indologists?
0: Okay, thank you for this question. Yeah, so uh, the, the first thing I have to, to say that in uh, I'm a historian of Western ideas, so that that, that that's the good thing because at the one hand, so I can really uh, well sketch what Müller Max Müller had in mind with this series. The bad part, so to speak, is that. I'm not knowledgeable in the sacred books of the East, so the book is very much on Max Müller and the reason why I turn to to Max Müller is that in the the historiography of uh, what is called the science of religion or religious studies or comparative religions, uh, which started in the, well, let's say in the 70s of the the 19th century you have a few uh, scholars uh, in the West uh, who are credited with uh, starting the whole venture of comparing religion in a scholarly way and the two founders as it was called are a Dutch person the, the Leiden professor Cornelius Petrus Thiele who was in Leiden and who had the first chair in the Science of Religion, Religionswissenschaft. It's also called Religious Studies. And the other towering figure was Friedrich Max Müller, who spent most of his life in, in Oxford uh, and it's also credit. And Max Müller is the one who who gave actually the first series of lectures in the Signs of Religion, as it was called in the the early seventies of 1870 uh, Actually, a whole series, and that he he, he turned it into a book, The Signs of Religion, as one of the key texts the, the founding text of of uh, the science uh, of religion. And uh, so that was the reason uh, to, to turn to, to Max Müller. And uh, because there is also already quite, quite a few books and articles on Max Müller, I thought, well, it's perhaps interesting to focus not only on the ideas of Max Müller, although so the book is very much about Max Müller, I have to, to admit. Uh, it's perhaps good to focus uh, on one of his big uh big ventures and one of the, the, the big things of course he did uh, is the edition of the sacred books. He was uh, the, the main editor. He didn't do some translations of, uh, of texts himself, but uh, most of the work uh, of the translation was done by, by colleagues, mainly European British and German colleagues, but also a few uh, scholars from uh, from the east. So, well, that, that's, I don't know if I can say much more about why it turned to, to Max Müller. So it was also, as I said, a challenge to do something uh, new. And it is, it is at least in, in the history of ideas, which, which is in my field, it, it's very much well the, the, the ideas well it, it, that ideas also materialize so it, sorry I don't pronounce it very good, but are somehow not only ideas in the minds of people somehow have consequences in books in encyclopedias in, um, in textbooks so I saw the sacred books is is, is a good subject uh, um, uh, for this so so it was, was nice to do that the second chapter of the book is about how it came about, uh, uh, what ideas Max Müller had, how he contacted various uh, scholars, how long the project took. Uh, but, but mainly my interest is in the, the key ideas and the key methods which are involved in this huge thing because it, it, it yeah a new type of scholarship, Uh, as I would call it, it's often called big science, and big science is associated with, uh, well, with these laboratories, with, with huge things in the natural sciences. But if you actually look and have a closer look and you see that, especially in Germany around 1900. And also the sacred books are of the East are a specimen of this. It started actually with big editions like those of the sacred books of the East or of the, the Christian church fathers and so on, which, which were financed in Germany by the Prussian state. Uh, and, of course, in a, not of course, but, but in England, uh, it was mainly private money which was invested, so the money of, of the press. But on the other hand, was also uh, subsidized by the East Indian office of the British Empire, which had a somewhat separate status, but nevertheless was interested um, to, to 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 support um, this series financially.
1: What do you think is the most striking thing about the personality of Max Muller?
0: Well, that, that's an intriguing... Uh, question um, mostly uh, I'm not really a biographer but doing intellectual history of course you, you also have a look at the at personality uh, of your subject and most of the times I have a pretty good idea about what kind of person uh, it is that I write about But Friedrich Max Müller is a difficult uh, subject in this uh, respect. And uh, on the one hand, he was a very charming man. He was, um, perhaps it's too negative a word, a wheeler dealer. He entertained guests at his house. He played the piano. He... He a very good network, uh, so to speak, uh, in the scholarly sense, in a private sense, and also he was very good acquainted with Queen Victoria. He presented uh, the first series of the Sacred Books of the East, the first series are the 20, first 24 volumes, to Queen Victoria, to other important uh, people like the Sultan of Turkey and uh, the Pope, the uh, head of the Catholic Church in, in Rome. Uh, so and and that, that that of course gives a different situation at on the one hand uh, you had to be very uh, uh let's say polite and nice and on the other end he had to 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 well to, to 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 well what what's the word i would like to use to to, to use pressure on his fellow colleagues to, to get the work done so uh what i'm saying by this that, at on one hand, if you look at the literature, at the biographies and the letters of, of, of people with whom Max Müller worked, they, they appreciate him and they think he's a kind, nice, hospital man and so on. On the other hand, you see also quite a few expressions that they don't like. Max Müller. That Max Müller was perceived in Oxford as a foreigner, as a German, which was bad to be a German at that time because the Germans were supposed to, to represent more liberal kinds of religion and theology and therefore endanger the Anglican faith, the Anglican doctrine of the church of England and also used people very much for his own uh, purposes and not in their own right one of his colleagues Mark Patterson said he only valued this in so far as he could use it's one of the most harsh harshest um, uh, judgments I I know of but it's it's therefore very hard to, to, to see what kind of Person he was, he has great quality qualities as a manager, and uh, is, is and a good qualities of conversation, no doubt. But it, on the other hand, also if you you read, but I'm I'm not very knowledgeable in, in this area. His his correspondence, as far as that published, with with his Indian uh, uh, colleagues, and so there is lots and lots of. Pressure. he is a bit of an authoritative person and well it depended a bit of uh, what your relation with max muller was how, how how you you appreciate his personality so it's i, I find it really very hard to just to, to 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 come to a, to a final uh, verdict uh, on the man. Perhaps the, the, this ambivalence, which I now describe, is, is one of the, the key uh, elements that that he had, as it's now called nowadays, called various personae or personalities that 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 could could conflict. He could be the the, the 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 caring husband, no doubt, because he had terrible personal losses. He lost. Two of his daughters at a very early uh, uh, age, and he was very, very sad about it. So that's all. So he, he was one of the, 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 the his father was was one of the f- most famous uh, German composer uh, no uh, poets at the time. Uh, his father uh, wrote the Winterreise and die Schöne Müllerin. Uh, die, the the, the travel in, in in Winter, which is set to music by uh, by Schubert, and therefore became famous. So he has also a kind of sentimentality, and he also indulged a bit in his in his loss. So he coped with it, and he wrote uh, big and large um, diaries about in which he addressed his his, his, his daughter, we, who was passed away at the age of sixteen or eighteen, directly, so to speak. It's, it it it's intriguing it's not the main subject also i i did did, did, did do one chapter on on max muller's life and work because i thought it, it, you must really know a bit about what he has done and I, I tried to organize the first chapter in a thematic way so not not just telling the, the story of his life but addressing um his publication strategy, uh, his well, his pride, uh, uh, his work also, which which is huge, of course. I don't know, but it is it, it's it's hardly possible for one person to to read the whole work, all the publications of uh, Max. Well, you don't understand how he had the time to, to 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 write all these things. So it's. Um, well it was a challenging job uh, to do and I wanted to to write a a short book about it and not uh, not another book and not a book about of 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 800 or 600 pages but just a slim book which could also be an introduction to the work of um, Max Müller in general so that was well I don't perhaps I didn't answer your question directly but uh, well I hope it gives you an idea so
1: now, uh, you are working from the uh, discipline of history of ideas, which as I understand is relatively a new discipline. And you are working in the uh, idea or the history of uh, the science of religion. Uh, do you think someone else is also uh, doing some significant work in this field? or uh, Because it comes as a very new attempt to position uh, science of religion in the uh, discipline of history of ideas so is there any parallel work or uh, is this one of the books which will uh, start begin this kind of work because you're relating the uh, big science here
0: oh yeah yeah so big science is 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 a concept which is mostly used in describing uh, and i stress the history of the natural sciences, and not so much in the history of the humanity. So, also, it's called signs of religion and signs uh, of re- science. In, in, in English, uh, refers uh, to the to the natural sciences uh, primarily, whereas in in German and also in Dutch and other languages, uh, science or Wissenschaft refers to to through the natural sciences and the humanities and the social sciences, which is perhaps a bit um, misleading. So I always get criticism that I use the word science, whereas actually humanities or scholarships is is used. And, um, yeah, to, to make this, I'm not completely sure if I got your question, but what I'm doing is you have this the emergence of, uh, let's say, the science of religion. Science of religion is basically... Um, the comparison of of main religions in the world which which emerged in my view this field of study in the late nineteenth century uh, i think it's, its emerged earlier in uh, in the history of uh, of scholarship and yes in at least in the Netherlands but also in England and the United States and Germany, there are scholars like me who who describe and analyze the history of these uh, scholarly practices like uh, let's say uh, the science of religion which is nowadays often called religious studies or even the study of religion. And uh, other types of scholarships are also so. The study of English would be a subject for the uh, historian of ideas or the historian of sciences, including uh, the humanities. So that, that's a real big branch of of study. And uh, the tendency is to focus in this in doing this history of humanities as proper best called, and in this case the the study of religion as it emerged, the comparative study of religion as it emerged in the not late 19th century, is a subject of study. And uh, various books are actually written and uh, uh, published about this subject, because especially in the humanities, you want to know where you come from. For instance, a neighbouring field, which is the sociology of religion, also has uh, a big historiography, and people want to know who is really important, so to speak. What, what are the, the the points of references? Who were the founding fathers? What were the important series? What were the defining encyclopedias, and so on? So in that sense uh, scholars of religion uh, of scholars of religious studies as it's all, also called it's always a bit difficult all the different terms so it's an important thing which is done in academia at least in the Netherlands and I would also say also i uh, <laughs> Not less familiar, also perhaps not very good familiar, but also in India, you see actually that uh, um, at least not perhaps not nowadays actually, but uh, in the second half of the the twentieth the century, you had various conferences on the work of Max Müller, uh, which somehow, well, in my view, to celebrate him as. A scholar of religion, and especially also uh, the person who edited the Rigveda—I hope I pronounced it correctly—in uh, in Sanskrit, and these six volumes, huge volumes, also subsidized by by English institutions, uh, were presented by the Prince of Wales. On a trip to India to 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 Indian uh, officials, so uh, I would say that, that that also in in India, as far as I can see, uh, uh, there is a kind of tradition which studies the history. Uh, well, the, uh, the history of Sanskrit, the, study, the history of the study of Sanskrit, the the importance of Max Müller for uh, in this field of study. So, well, I hope this gives you an impression of of the field in which I'm working.
1: Yes. And, uh, what What do you think uh, during the course of your work? Did you have any idea or uh, did you get an inkling on what could be the you know, propelling factor or motive uh, behind Max Muller's translating this, taking up the series of Sacred Books of the East? Uh, y- yes, that,
0: that that that's that's one of the things I I wanted to find out. Of course, even before I started, I, I knew a bit about Max Müller, uh, and in this book I try to 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 come to a more precise analysis of what what his goal, what is. Intentions. What what drove him to to edit this 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 huge project of the sacred books of the East, which which, which which the first volume on the Upanishads, which was translated by Max Müller himself, appeared in 1879, and the last volume, which was the index, appeared in 1910. After Max Müller's death, uh, Max Müller himself died in 1900, but he supervised uh, most of the, the translations and he corresponded with the translators uh, about uh, about introductions, sometimes about a translation that depended, of course, on uh, on the language. The, one of the, the most close collaborators of Max Müller was uh, James Legge. That, was an Oxford colleague who translated Chinese texts uh, for the sacred books of uh, of the East and Max Muller supervised all those books. Uh, but your question is uh, what, what was Max Muller's main goal? Well, the main goal was simply to make these important texts of the East available to an educated audience or public in the West, mainly in Britain, but also outside uh, Britain, and the idea was that we had to have precise translations and complete translations. And that was not because everyone, everything in these texts was valuable according to, to to Max Müller, but the key idea was that basic religious ideas which in his view were important for Christian religion but could also be found in Indian religion were related or even similar or even the same in Eastern religion and of course the idea was that uh, so to speak many ideas in Christianity were borrowed so to speak from Indian religion so the idea was that in these sometimes very hard to read translations which, which don't it's not easy to understand what actually meant but in these texts there are uh, uh, nuggets of gold as much Muller like to say so important basic religious truths which were important to western man so the basic idea was that um, the west and the east were connected by language similarities, but also by similarities in religion. And his his ultimate dream, his utopia, so to speak, was that uh, if everyone realized that the the core of all these different religions was basically the same, we could develop as humankind a a religion of humanity, as he, he called it, so a religion which was shared by all people, at least by all educated people all over the world, and would co- contribute to well to, uh, to peaceful uh, understanding of of people all over the globe. So that that was his, his dream. So to speak, which is very much contested, of course. If if it's really uh, true that that all these religions are basically at root uh, about the same, so what is actually done by Max Müller if you analyze what he's doing? He is, let's say, very much focused on the spiritual core of religion so deep down religion is about a contact with the infinite with uh, a form of god or if you don't want to word god the transcendent uh, so that was religion about so technically that's cool what he he does is a spiritualization of religion So he he looks in all religions for a spiritual core. And that's somehow the experience of the transcendent or whatever name you you want to call it. And and that's the core. So he's not much interested in ritual, for instance, which is, according to modern contemporary scholars, nowadays also an important subject or about material culture, about the things which which matter, but he is very much focused on this spiritual core of religion, which according to, to, to most scholars and also to me, uh, a kind of, well, it doesn't do just to the fullness of the variety of religion, reducing them to, to a core, which is the same in all uh, religion, but it was his dream. And it was also a dream of course, of peaceful living together. And also, A dream of emancipation at least for the colonial subjects as they were seen uh, uh, especially uh, in in the late 19th century so on the one hand um, there is a sense always in Max Müller's work and in the contemporary scene a sense of western superiority of the the colonial power so to speak but on the other hand Max Müller also in the the eyes of his Indian uh, friends Contributed very much to the emancipation of uh, Indian religiosity in whatever sense. So that 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 basically is dream. The dream is about peaceful understanding, about religion not leading to violence, not leading to to all kinds of trouble. But if we come to the core of all these religions, man will be able to, to live peacefully to get all over the globe. That's
1: the answer. So the core of this work was based on translation. Uh, do you think uh, native scholars uh, from wherever the texts were based from were used uh, or they were actively participating in this project or do you think that their participation could have been more or less What do you think about the participation of the native scholars from where these tests belonged?
0: Oh, yeah. Uh, That's a very good uh, question. Sorry. Uh, And it's a very good question because it's not easy to answer. So, basically, uh, as I see it, it was a Western project, you say mainly by Western scholars, which selected which texts were to be translated. And Max Müller, to to a great extent, also determined who would translate these books. So in that sense, it's very much a Western or even colonial project. On the other hand, of course, there were indigenous uh, scholars uh, involved who must have influenced Max Muller because they corresponded about probably but the correspondence is not any longer there so it's it, it, it's a guess but they must have corresponded not only about uh, technical details of translation but also which text were to be included so uh, we don't know much about it but uh, What I must say, I I attended a conference in Germany uh, two years ago, I guess. Yeah, just before we moved here to to Utrecht, which is a town in the the middle of the Netherlands. And uh, the the colleagues there in Germany had very much the intention to, to show that the contribution of... Indian scholars and also Japanese scholars who were involved in translating the sacred books must have been bigger than I suggested in the text I presented at at, that conference in uh, in Heidelberg. So it's hard because we have so, there is not much evidence, uh, so to speak, but of course it can be the case. If you look closer at the sources and also the correspondence uh, in languages I don't I don't read, so to speak, it, it could turn out that that the input, so to speak, of indigenous scholars from India, Japan, and so must have been bigger than the sources as I study them show. So it's it's hard it's hard to say, but uh, it, 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 it's clear at least that that. Although Max Müller was was the the man who made the decisions and said, "Well, we include this, we include that book, and we don't do this." We, as far as Islam uh, was concerned, only the the Quran was was included, and you could have included other uh, authoritative texts. But that doesn't make it impossible that other people involved in this edition contributed to the selection of the texts and uh, and also of course translated uh, the text so I'm sorry it's it's, it's hard to answer but it, it's an issue which is uh, as far as I can see uh, hotly debated at the moment in the scholarly scene and my position is a bit that I stress very much the role of Max Müller but there are scholars most of them, uh, let's see, uh, scholars of uh, Indian religion or Chinese religion and languages who think, well, that's not so clear as you posited. Probably the scholars involved who were working in the East have a bigger contribution than you suggest. And, of course, the idea of Max Müller was to, to select... Uh, authoritative text, so not just text from the East, but text which, which has authority. Canonical was also one of the big word so text, which had the same status as the, the, the big Christian Old Testament and New Testament, which are the key texts of uh, the Christian uh, religion and also Judaism, the Hebrew Bible, the, the Old Testament. And he wanted to select texts which which had which were important and were by, uh, let's say, the Indians, as, as having authority for them. So not just texts which were interesting and showed some spirituality. No, it had to be texts which had uh, power, so to speak, and which were accepted. So in that sense, there is a, a relation between Max Müller and the informants or translators, whoever, and also people from India to Oxford where Max Müller lived, and they must have spoken about uh, these things. And uh, of course there was already a, a, a corpus of texts which, which were deemed important and had authority in, in the various countries and regions which were included in the sacred books. So it's, it, it's a nice question, but it's still the answer is still open to a certain extent. But I, I try to give a balanced answer at one end. Max Müller wasn't very assertive in selecting the text on the other end he selected texts which were deemed important in the East and which were also uh, the selection which were, were influenced by by people he corresponded with or talked to visited him in oxford he never went to india by the way but uh, he had a correspondence with uh, with indian scholars uh, from from the brahmo samai i hope i pronounced it correctly and somewhat enlightened as it was called hindu group so yeah okay i start repeating myself so i stop here
1: (laughs) so uh you see, this whole project, as you point out in your book, was based on the concept of uh, textualization of religion or that by uh, letting open, uh, making more accessible these texts, there could be better understanding amongst religions. And uh, that approach itself uh, can be questioned and is being questioned by many scholars today that uh, that is probably an elitist approach. So what do you have to say? about uh, this kind of overly depending on textual sources to understand religious traditions or to bring harmony between them
0: yes I, I agree um, of course it it it, it 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 has been an elitist project and um, if you look at how good these expensive books sold you see the first edition of each volume uh, comprised fifteen hundred copies, so which which is well, it's, it's more than nothing, so to speak, but it's, it's not not a huge amount of uh, of copies which were distributed. Uh, you can also ask who actually read these these books, which sometimes were not easy to read. So it is an editist uh, project. I I I would I would uh, agree. Uh yeah uh, I don't know exactly what I could say more about it. So yeah, that, that's a bit of speculation. But uh the other thing which comes to mind is that of course these translations have played a role in the study of uh, let's say Hinduism, Buddhism, Taoism, Confucianism, and so on. So some of the translations uh, are still used. Uh, if my colleagues uh, from uh, other departments of Oriental Studies are to be uh, uh, trusted, most of them are not because they are antiquated. So the, 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 the copies were received in, in a scholarly tradition, but. Uh, whether you can say that this series made a big impact on uh, on how uh, uh, representatives of various religious uh, perceived each other, saw each other, contacted each other, I don't think that that it made a huge impact in that sense. Only in, in some circles in people who, of course, could read English. It was the first thing. It was translation. So not everyone all over the world then, uh, at the end of the 19th century, could read uh, English. It was also, of course, a problem in selecting uh, the translators. You had the important and influential scholars in France and in Germany whose English was not good enough to tra- translate these texts into English. Some, of, Perhaps some of them uh, gave Max Müller a German or a French text and that they were later translated into English, but I didn't find any proof of that because the correspondence, uh, well, is not any, is extinct, uh, doesn't, isn't there anymore. But um, to, to give a short answer to, to your question, uh, Uh, Yes, it is elitist to concentrate on texts and uh, religion is very much about ritual, of course. There are also oral traditions, people recite things. So, yeah, the important, yeah, it's an elitist project, no doubt. I agree.
1: And uh, when we are talking about the textualization of religion and uh, interpreting of texts in understanding religions automatically the problem of translation comes. And uh, since you yourself are coming from a non-English background, uh, how do you feel that even uh, in the uh, smaller context of narrower context of science of religion or religious studies, the translation or uniformity of translation techniques is important. And in the broader context of the history of ideas, how do you feel that the uh, different kinds of translations uh, and different nuances lost or brought in because of translations affect how we look at different ideas or how we study religion? Well, that's a hard question
0: to answer. And that, of course, I must admit, is one of questions or issues which ideally would or should be addressed in a book on the sacred books of the east i say it very clearly in, in the preface and introduction that my point of view is that is of this is that of the historian of western ideas what did max muller wanted with this series i'm no judge actually on the quality of the translations and in how far they they perhaps even distort and original intention what I learned from other people so I stress what I learned from other people is and what I see also is that it was sometimes very very difficult to, to come to a translation, Max Müller is, uh, speaks very clearly about it in some of the introductions to the volumes he translated for the sacred books of the East. That it's in his view sometimes almost impossible to 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 give a, a translation which is is good enough, which is adequate, which expresses the precise meaning of the original. Author, so translation is also always doing some harm, so to speak, to 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 the text you translate. Even if you translate poetry from from, from German into English, then then already, and these these are related. Uh, languages and also can be very very clear actually what what it means whereas some of these ancient religious texts okay well to summarize so translations are always difficult because it's it's very hard to to get a really adequate translation and it's especially difficult in the case of some of these very old religious texts because even experts don't agree about what the meaning of a specific sentence or specific paragraph actually is. So, uh, and Max Müller was very much aware of it, uh, of this problem. And in other cases, not in the sacred books of the East, the sacred books of the East had to present translations as such. So, uh, the translators of the sacred book were uh, specifically forbidden to, to comment, uh, on their translation to give footnotes in which he said, well, this is difficult. But in other translations uh, Max Müller uh, did, he, he gave a translation with a, a running commentary, so to speak, where he addressed the problems uh, and perhaps also the, the different renderings, which could be given of the same passage, uh, conflicting um, Translations even so it depends very much the text you have but but most of the it, it, it's hard and and I must say many many uh, translators of sacred books of the East in the series complain about the fact how difficult it is to translate uh, the original text into English and given an adequate translation so it, it, it's it's a big big. Issue, Yeah, for Müller, it, it was also a, a very big issue, but because his main thing, of course, was to show that all these religions share a spiritual core, so to speak, uh, it was not that much of an issue. But on the other hand, he wanted to present these Eastern religious canonical of texts to the West in its entirety. So, it, it was a big issue.
1: Well, Ari, we have taken up a lot of your time today. Um, can you just uh, tell us what you're working on right now?
0: Oh, thank you. Well, yeah, I, I'm working on several things. Um, most of them in the in the history of ideas or the history of uh, branches of learning uh, and so on. So I'm now involved in, let's let me men, let me mention, two, two projects. Uh, the most famous scholar we, we had, or the most, most famous scholar in religious studies or in the science of religion in the Netherlands uh, was Gerardus van der Leeuw. He was one of the advocates of phenomenology of religion. Which try to 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 also to address the essence of religious uh, phenomenon, and especially to to to, uh, to 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 give a description, so to speak, from the inside, not on an outsider's perspective, but to do justice to what uh, religious practitioners actually experience. So. It's, uh, and I'm very much looking forward that it's one of the, the the project and the other, which is still in its infancy, is a project about uh the rise of, let's say, uh atheism or perhaps more precise, agnosticism. So people who say, Well, I, I I'm no judging these things. I'm I just don't have enough information to judge if there is a divine sphere or is a transcendent sphere or or, or so, but that, that's in its infancy is a huge project I'm looking now in the history of the, the Netherlands, but I, I want to do a more comparative uh, project and the ideal would be a, a sort of history of the, the rise of the category of the secular opposed to religious or sacred in some Western country. So these are the two projects I'm involved now.
1: So we can look forward to uh, reading two wonderful books, I believe.
0: Yes, and <laughs> well, articles at least. Thank <laughs> you. Very nice of you, yeah.
1: Yeah, I want to thank you for being on the show today, and uh, I really enjoyed it, and I'm sure our audience also will enjoy it. Take care.
0: Okay, was my pleasure. Thank you.